Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was trying to destroy not, not your falling your, for that twice. Your your your. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna try to destroy your budding political career, but never mind. <laughs> right. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I want you all to know that this week you really can count on me. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Hey, when you put a plus one counter on me, you can put twice as many plus one counters on me. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. And I sometimes still get confused between plus one counters and counters spells. Anyway, all these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHRECcast, we're going to give that data a little bit more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? Dinosaur Tribal. Wait, no, that's, that's- not right. That's not what my intro was about. Yeah, I, my notes are all... Oh, man. All kind of mixed up. Sorry about that, Dana. He, he tried. Matt, what are we really talking about today? We're going to count all the different ways you can play plus one, plus one counters. That is right. We're going to be talking about some plus one counters. As we all know, EDHREC has an awesome themes tab, and we can look through there to find some other neat themes like Reanimator or Mill or other stuff with graveyards because graveyards are awesome. But we can also take a look at some themes like plus one counters, and we just wanted to take a quick breeze through those and see what's going on on that side of the EDHREC website because those commanders, they're pretty darn spicy. You guys ready? I am. I am as well. Before we get started, I have to ask, did you play any fun games this week or get some new cards? How's it been? I picked up a few um, Ultimate Masters singles I needed. I did not buy a box. Did either of you two pick up boxes? I didn't. I, I have gotten a box. It's kind of a surprise for my group back home, so I'm hoping that they don't listen to this week's episode. Well, just keep it away from them. Don't, don't let them listen. Or any, well, no, make them listen. Just tell them to fast forward. Did you yep. open? I'll, your box I'll make sure that they skip yet, past the first couple. Oh, I, it hasn't been delivered to me. Just oh, okay, yet, all right. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, we're gonna no, open I, it together. Hopefully, it's a big Christmas fun surprise. Nice. I was I was thinking about putting mine. I'm I am notoriously hard to shop for amongst my family, and so this year I told them I'm gonna put an Amazon wish list together, and that's if there's something on there, you guys can just buy it from that. And I thought about putting a box of Ultimate Masters on there, but I don't want to like take them on a run and and 
you know, half expect them, even though I wouldn't expect them to buy it. But yeah. Yeah, I, I was moving, so I just didn't want to, I felt like an expense I didn't want to have given who knows what expenses I was going to have in a new house. And there was one card, I, I wanted the box topper um, Urborg. And I'm like, well, you know, of course the odds are I'm not going to get that with my box topper. And I'm like, okay, then do I want to deal with trading whatever I have to get that Urborg? Or I could just, you know, spend the money and buy the box topper and a few singles. So I chose to go that route this time. That is the correct move. It's not. It's it's the less fun, less exciting route, but it's probably the it's the safe way to go to know you're going to get the cards you want for the cheapest price. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How much How much is your time and energy worth? That's that's right. The big thing. Yeah. Opening up product is definitely a fun act of probably something adjacent to gambling. But when you need the cards that you need, it's been a long adage from a lot of different content creators, including Andrew of the Ultra Budget Brews articles, where you just you know you buy the singles you need. The professor has been doing saying that in all of his uh, his episodes too whenever he puts out a video like it's it's definitely a good rule of thumb because you want to play the stuff and you don't want to spend a bunch of money getting a bunch of other extra chaff necessarily so yeah that seems like a good move that new urborg art is really really pretty i just got it in the mail today it looks really sharp i'm gonna be decking it up later on tonight and i'll be playing it tomorrow night well, that's pretty fantastic. Very cool. Sort of moving into today's theme, though, with plus one counters, we're about to take a quick look at the top commanders for the plus one plus one counters theme. And I got to ask, do you guys have any decks that revolve around acquiring plus one counters on all of your stuff? I used to, and you're not going to like the commander that I had. So, Dana, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> I can guess what that was. I also did Once Upon a Time, but I took it apart a few years back. All right, Matt. Begrudgingly, I will admit that you can go ahead and talk about your plus one counter deck. So my plus one plus one counter deck, it was a really fun uh, kind of unblockable, give everything trample. Oh, I'm trying to think of a best way to describe this. It was about getting a lot of little guys on the battlefield, a bunch of mana dorks, and then, and then like, ramping in. Were they getting progressively bigger? They were progressing very okay. well. All right. I, uh, I get it. They, they tended to, to kind of claw through those long and drawn sure. out games. <laughs> okay, so I, you had an Azuri deck, <laughs> which is really yes, wonderful. I, I still I contend that it's very weird that white has cards like Mentor the Meek, Bygone Bishop, Recruiter the Guard, and Revelark, and red has Break the Lion, and Red. We're not talking yeah, about we, we, we need to cut you off right there. And well, green yeah. has Elemental Bond and Colossal I'm Majesty. Die, all right. I'm going to play the Joseph Schultz here. Yeah, I'm going to rein it back in. I just think it's a little it. off color is all, but I get it. Yes, it's certainly been a popular commander. And let me, I, let me I, tell you I about this card called Hornet Queen that makes a bunch of 1-1s. You know, and they're all so good. And then you put all those onto a 1-1 called Sage of Hours. And then you take all the turns. And then you put all those counters on a blighted agent, and then you kill somebody. That's congratulations, Matt. It's very original. Well, oh, that makes Joey, me sound really, yeah. really sassy. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Let's, the, let's, the necromancer. I do, I do love sus, I do love sassy Joey. The, the necromancer inside you will like the commander I was using much more. I had the mimeoplasm oh. plus one counters. See now, that's what's up. Now we're speaking my language. Long silence. <laughs> We, we, we just wanted to let your joy die down yes, a little bit. Yeah, let it just, oh. And now now we'll we'll resume with the yeah. conversation. All right, yes. So anyway, Mimeoplasm, Dana. Let's let's hear it. Originally, it was Varash, and I found that six mana to get Varash out and then swing the next turn, it was he just didn't impact the game very much. And with Mimeoplasm, I also didn't 
tend to cast him till late in the game. But like at that point in time, there's almost always something scary in the graveyard and something big. So plenty of times I could use him just for he'd come down and, you know, just by virtue of exiling two big creatures, he'd be like a 14, 14 or something. And was just immediately impactful in a way that Varash wasn't. So even without really doing any kind of crazy necromancy stuff in that kind of deck where you're, you know, you've got doubling season, hardened scales kind of cards, Mimiplasm just was accidentally huge. Yeah, Mimiplasm is one. I mean, I have a necromancy-related Mimiplasm deck, but I also have a plus one counters deck in the form of Ishai and Rehan, less of the Abzon. And that's a really fun partner deck. And I've ever so often considered putting Mimiplasm into that deck because it fits the colors and it could acquire a ton of counters because, I mean, Mimiplasm, he copies a dead creature and he eats another one and gets even bigger for it. It definitely has a really big impact when it hits the field. Yeah, and like I said, it just happens accidentally plenty of times in games. You don't even have to be doing you know, crazy Entomb kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, definitely some fun stuff, but those aren't necessarily all the commanders that we're going to be talking about because while we have maybe had fun with Mimiplasm or with Vrosh or something like that, the top commanders are actually a little bit different when we look at that specific plus one counter theme. Matt, would you mind walking us through the top five commanders that show up on the plus one counter page? I surely can. So number one on the plus one plus one counters page is also the number one commander on EDH rec. In general, it is Atraxa Praetor's Voice, followed up number two by Varel of the Whole Clade. I, we don't need to read Atraxa, but we might read a couple of these. Uh, Varel is a uh, one, a green and a blue for a one four human merfolk. Riddle me that. Uh, he also set, has an ability for a green and a blue, tap him, double a number of each kind of counter on target artifact, creature, or land. Number three, we have Anafens of the Foremost, that is the Abzan. Khan from Khans of Tarkir, a white, a black, and a green for a 4-4 human soldier. When uh, Anafenza attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on another target tapped creature you control. And then if a creature card would be put in the graveyard, opponent's graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Nice little hate bear effect. Number four, Gave, Gave, Yave, <laughs> however you want to say it. G- gave, I believe. I, I say it, Gave. To, I was trying to think of the most like hillbilly way to say it, and then the most like I'm uber French cultured way to say it. So, wow. However you want to pronounce it. Anyway, I Gabe, he's pretty to. famous, so people definitely know him. He was one one from the uh, original Commander products. He was, and then he got reprinted a couple times uh, in the plus one plus one counters deck with Atraxa. But he is a a fungus shaman for two black green white for a zero zero. That's pretty bad stats, but he does read. Gave enters the battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on it. Uh, also, you can pay one mana uh, and remove one to put a plus and remove a plus one plus one counter to create a one one green sapling token, or you can pay one and sacrifice a creature to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. So he's pretty combo tastic, I hear. Joey, is that correct? Oh yeah, that's one of the really famous things about Gave is that you can just sort of uh, what is it? One of our previous guests, I think it might have been Scott or perhaps Mason, who said that you can just sort of like throw your hand up into the air, and when a couple of the pieces fall onto the battlefield, you'll accidentally have gone if infinite by that time. Noted. And then finally, number five of all the plus one plus one counters commanders. Not number five, but number one in Joey's heart. Wow. Number one, absolutely tippy top of the shelf. Missouri Claw of Progress, two, a blue and a green for a 3-3 Elf Warrior. When a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield, you get an experience counter. And then at the beginning of combat on your turn, put X plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control, where X is the number of experience counters you have. 
Alrighty, so that's our top roster for plus one counter, and that just means that according to the data that we're seeing, there's a specific number of cards that reference plus one counters that are showing up in these particular decks. So you'll notice, for example, Atraxa is showing up as the top commander, but only... 1,641 decks are actually showing up as specifically plus one plus one counter theme decks for her compared to the over 5,000 lists that there are for Atraxa because, you know, there are a lot of different directions that you could take her. People could use, you know, charge counters on artifacts or perhaps super friends, planeswalkers, loyalty counters, things like that. So there's a specific percentage that are using just the plus one counter theme. And that's kind of what we see across the rest of these here. Vorel too, he can double the number of each kind of counter on an artifact or a creature or even on a land. He can sort of mess around there. So these are just the... 500 or so specifically plus one counter themes as opposed to the total 800 Vorel decks. Are there any of these top five commanders that maybe surprise you guys as being so popular among this theme? Anafenza. I was genuinely shocked to see that far up the list. Why is that? Um, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess. I just don't think I've ever seen her played that much. I mean, I, a 4-4 four, four for three is pretty aggressive. She has useful abilities. Um, I just did not think like, you know, Gabe's kind of well-known as a as a plus-one counters commander, as is Azuri. I just thought they would both definitely be ahead of Anafenza. So that one surprised me. I'm not really too surprised to see Anafenza there, but I, I am surprised to see that many numbers of, like, of the plus-one, plus-one counters version of Anafenza because in order for a deck to show up on the themes tab, it has to have X number of cards that reference plus-one, plus-one counters. And I don't, I've seen Anafenza decks, but I've never seen one that is around a, a, a counters theme. And I wonder if maybe part of that is because that's really the most logical way to build her. Whereas Gabe, you know, probably you could go with a token deck and maybe Azuri, you're just building with enough weenies that it wouldn't register for some of the decks as well. So I wonder if that's part of it where Anafenza just probably primarily only has plus one counter creatures in that build. Right, exactly. Anafenza, there are 428 decks that register specifically as plus one, plus one counter theme, compared to the about a thousand total decks for her. Compare that to Gave, he's got about 401 decks that register as being specifically plus one counter theme, but there are 1,855 Gave decks total. So it's definitely a much more popular theme for Anafenza, probably given the Obzon mechanic of Outlast that was from her original set. It's really easy to pair her ability with a bunch of those outlast cards that provide plus one counters and small benefits for each creature that has a plus one counter on it it's probably easy to make an obs on theme deck and for that to also register as being a plus one plus one counter deck whereas gave like you mentioned it's very easy for him to go into a token route instead because he's so good at making those tokens yeah i would say i i've seen anafenza hate bears just that second ability it works really 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 well against you know joseph m schultz types of decks but uh yeah, that's that's I'm I'm not surprised I suppose to see Anafenza being a top commander for this theme, but I am sad because she exiles my my awesome graveyard cards and I I really want them back, man. And it, it's nice cuz it's from anywhere. It's not exiling from the battlefield. It's right. whatever creature is put in the graveyard from anywhere, it goes away. And it's a replacement yeah. effect, so it prevents things from being triggered as well. Mhm. Yeah, I think if anything, that's kind of what surprises me that she became so popular generally because, well, you know, a three mana four four is definitely cool. Her abilities register as being kind of minor in the format. <laughs> you know, she attacks and she puts a plus one counter on something and she kind of hates graveyards out a little bit. But we've said multiple times on this cast and Dana, you've said on your other cast, CMDR Central, you've said several times that people need to play more graveyard hate. That seems to be one of those things that folks kind of like won't play too often 
all that much. And so to see Anna Fensa be as popular as she is when she is, in fact, a piece of graveyard hate, rather than necessarily ramping forward her own very specific strategy, she's kind of generally useful without a very specific direction to go. It's interesting that that makes her so popular when a lot of the other things that we've seen on the website are that a very specific niche is what makes a commander more popular. I just find that pretty fascinating. One thing I do think helps her out in this case is the fact that she only hates other people's graveyards. I think a lot of times people get a little bit sketchy about graveyard hate because they want to be selfish. They don't want to hit their own graveyard. Well, Anna kind of solves that problem by it only being your opponents. So she lets you still be selfish with your own cards and while also hating other people's graveyards. Yeah, kind of a ley line for other people's creatures. Yeah, I'm totally down on that. That makes a lot of sense. So those were our top five, but I also want to take a quick look at the next five because I think that there are some pretty interesting cards among those. Naturally, we're going to expect a whole lot of green whenever we're talking about plus one counters, but there's a commander in the next five among the top 10 plus one counter theme generals that I think are, it's pretty interesting to see there because it doesn't contain green at all. So when we look at the next five commanders that show up at the top of this plus one counter page, we get Skullbriar, the walking grave. He's a really cool gold. Golgari commander that came out in the first uh, commander pre-cons. And he's pretty cool. Gens a bunch of plus one counters, keeps them even if he goes back to the command zone. Pretty cool. But after that, we get Marchesa the Black Rose. That's the Grixis commander that puts counters on things. And of course, it's got the Dethrone, which can help you get even more counters on things. And she says, whenever a creature you control with a counter on it dies, return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. This is a really cool card to see because so much of the counter stuff that we encounter no pun intended, is stuff with green. So it's nice to see that Marchesa is showing up here and doing a bunch of stuff with counters without needing all of the extra support that green provides for that strategy. Yeah, well, and, and one thing that we've seen so far, there's, besides a lot of green, there's a lot of black as well. So Marchesa still has that black theme, and there's a couple really spicy uh, black cards in there, but uh, see, it's the first time we see red in any of these lists, um, and putting blue-red together with black. I mean, Grixis doesn't do counters very well. Um, so it's really unique, but it, it fits color-wise. And I've always been really intrigued by Marchesa. I had a, a active treason-type theme deck for a little bit with Marchesa that was a blast, actually. Um, so it is kind of cool to see her show up this high. Yeah, after her, we've got Dagatar the Adamant. This is from, I want to say, Fate Reforged, if I'm remembering that symbol correctly. Yes. So he's a little bit along the lines of Anafenza. For those who are a little less familiar with this guy, because he's a bit more obscure, he's three and a white for a zero zero human warrior. He's got vigilance. He enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it. So that's how you can justify the zero zero. And he's got a peculiar ability of one and then a hybrid green black or a hybrid green black. So for three total, you can move a plus one counter from target creature onto a second target creature, which is kind of interesting. And they're not they're not I've, your target creatures. They are just target creatures. Yeah, so he can do kind of a, a sharing and swapping type of deal, which is pretty interesting. After that, we've got Experiment Kraj, a very famous Simic commander who can put counters on things and steal their activated abilities. And lastly, we've got Rishkar Pima Renegade from Aether Revolt, who can put counters on things when he enters the battlefield and gives all of your stuff with counters on them the ability to tap for mana. So those are the top 10 plus one counter generals that we're seeing. Aside from Marchesa... All of them do have the identity of green. So, yeah, it was definitely a fun thing to see that she's here representing red on this on this board, basically. I mean, they all do have green, but there is a pretty good mix there. There's, you know, there's four color, uh, like I said, in Atraxa, but there's, you know, there's Simic, there's Golgari, there's Abzan, there's Mono Green in the top 10. Um, Dagatar can flex three different ways. He could play Abzan or he could play Golgari or he could play Swesnia if you want as well. In addition to the Grixis Marchesa. 
And if you you know go a little bit lower into the into the next fifteen, you've also got a couple more Selesnia, Bant. So really, this theme is pretty friendly to a lot of different color combinations. Really, red is the least representative, but it still has you know one uh, commander in the top ten. I, I think that's kind of cool about plus one counters is there's a lot of different decks you can build with. Yeah, it's very ubiquitous. And what I really like, and I've probably mentioned this about Atraxa before, Atraxa is so great because she doesn't have red in her color identity, and Proliferate is one of the best mechanics to represent that because Proliferate is about very slow progress, and red, as we know, is the really fast color. It's the one that's full of passion and wants to do things quickly. So plus one counters as a theme, since they represent incremental growth, kind of seem antithetical to red's entire philosophy. But but even so, like there is a few. I said with Marchesa does play with it a little bit. So right. you do have like that the red version of that. You have things like Crash to Bloodbraided and Jund. You know that also features red. That gives you a way to do a plus one counters if that is your jam. So yeah, it, it, you can still incorporate red as well. It's not entirely being roped out of the game. I think that's just a lot of fun here with this theme. Crash is a really good thing to bring up, actually. That kind of segues me into my next question. Are there any commanders that don't show up on this page that you probably would have expected should show up on this page? Um, you know, I thought mm. Animar would be higher, although I think that might be a result of, even though Animar decks tend to oftentimes be built around putting counters on Animar, I don't know if a lot of the other creatures in the Animar deck are necessarily uh, concerned with counters. So I think just by virtue of the way the math works, I think Animar gets bumped on the list. I thought it would be higher up for sure. And I thought Janara, um, Asura of War, would be higher. It's really the kind of main option if you want to run Bant plus one counters. She's an aggressive creature, you know, flying 3-3 three, three for three mana. I thought there would be more people building um, Janara plus one counter decks as well, but there's only 66 of those. Matt, what do you think? I thought Merith would be a little bit higher, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at the list, Merith is pretty low, and, and Merith is kind of like... Uh, Gave where he's he's very combo happy. Uh, you can oops into uh, quite a few win conditions, and then I'm also kind of surprised to see you know your your boys Rayan and Ishai solo. I mean they're they're number sixteen on the list, but they still give you the four color access, kind of like what Atraxa does, except they're they're maybe a little better about doing things with plus one plus one counters. You know, like you said, Atraxa does it very slow and methodically with proliferate and all that kind of fun stuff, but. But Ishai can get out of hand pretty quick, especially depending on, you know, what you play across from. Oh, yeah. Ishai, she is totally crazy. I really like that deck. And I think the reason that it shows up, that particular pair shows up so low on the page is because there just aren't a whole lot of decks built around both of those commanders just generally. Uh, you know, a lot of people were attracted to Atraxa instead. So the partner commanders kind of fell pretty low. And it's also a little bit tougher. It's kind of behind the scenes info, but it's a little bit tougher for EDHREC to actually scrape data from decks that have the partners as the commanders because some deck building websites represent the partners a little more difficulty with, with a bit more difficulty. So it's kind of difficult to get as big of numbers with the partner decks just because they are not just less popular, but also it's a little harder to actually find those lists correctly on different deck building websites. But yeah, that's probably why it shows up so low. But you're absolutely right. Both Rehan and Ishai are really, really fun, especially with that theme. And I'm really happy that I tried that deck out because, and that's kind of the other thing that's really fun to talk about with this theme, there are a lot of different ways that you can take plus one counters. Uh, when we did a decks versus the data episode, I went on my uh, my Rehan and Ishai deck and I talked about how I wanted that particular deck to go tall rather than wide, which is really antithetical to the theme of Atraxa. Atraxa wants to proliferate as many different things as she can. So she wants to go very wide. She wants a bunch of little stuff as opposed to me building 
building up basically one, maybe two big creatures and then shifting those counters over with Rayhan's ability if I need her to do that. Yeah, it's just interesting to see the different ways that you can take that theme. Yeah, there's a, just there's a lot of different flex here. And even, I mean, so many of these commanders, even ones with overlap, there are situations where you're like, in this deck, this commander's great, but I might not put the commander in another deck that shares colors with it just because there are just so many options. You know, there are some themes you build and you're really limited by the number of cards that just exist to play within that playground. And that's not the case with plus one counters here. You could be building a deck in in Abzan colors and have your friend build one in Golgari colors and have there be not very much overlap at all between those two decks. And I think as far as themes go, that's something that's probably pretty rare. That's a really good way to put it, actually. I, I think you've totally hit the nail on the head. This is an exceptionally diverse uh, type of strategy, which is probably why Plus One Counters is one of the top three themes next to Artifacts and Life Gain when we look at EDHREX data. Those are the top three themes, Artifacts, Life Gain, and Plus One Counters, and I think that they're exactly that high because of the diversity of directions that you can take those strategies in. So, yeah, I think you're totally right. Let's move on now to head-to-head. We're going to force each other to guess about some of the data that we're seeing here on EDHREC. Matt, would you mind starting us off? I surely can. So I was going through some of the Battle Bond stuff, uh, or not Battle Bond, excuse me. Uh, well, well, one of the cards is in Battle Bond, but I was going through all the Ultimate Master stuff that just came out, uh, picking up some stuff for some modern decks, uh, some Boggles, maybe put a few in, in some of my Commander decks as well. But I was going through the Auras theme, just because I was thinking, you know, I did have an article a couple of months ago about the Boggles deck in Modern, bringing it over, playing it with an Estrid uh, commander. But yeah, so I was wondering if you guys knew which was played more between Umbra Mystic and Core Spirit Dancer. So Umbra Mystic is two and a white for a 2-2 human wizard that says Auras attached to permanents you control have totem armor. And totem armor is that, you know, if, if the creature would get destroyed, destroy the enchantment instead or the aura instead. Whereas Core Spirit Dancer is one and a white for a zero two. It says Core Spirit Dancer gets plus two, plus two for each aura attached to it. And whenever you cast an aura spell, you may draw a card. Which do you think is played in more aura-themed decks on EDH Rec? Well, I mean, we were talking about plus one counters, but sure, we can talk about auras. Sorry, that makes we're, me sound sassy again. What's going on with me? Because I want to talk about green-white, guys. Uh, I see. This. I see. That makes sense. Sorry, I don't mean to be attitudinal about it. Uh, I would have to guess Umbra Mystic, probably just because Core Spirit Dancer, I think, was very expensive for a short amount of time because it showed up in a modern version of the Bogle's deck. It did, Dana, yes. what do you think? That makes sense about the price, but I'm going to go with my own personal experience here, even though that might not apply to the game as a whole. Having owned and currently running a Sigarda Enchantress deck, um, I did run Umbra Mystic for a while, and it was never particularly impressive. Whereas Core Spirit Dancer, while not as good as like a Mesa Enchantress or something, still oftentimes was a piece that let me get that engine rolling to play an enchantment to draw cards, to play enchantments to draw cards. Umbra Mystic was, you know, yes, it's kind of nice for the defensive ability, but you're running plenty of Umbras anyway, and things like Shoot of the Oversoul and Indestructibility, and it just oftentimes wound up being redundant. So, I'm going to use my own personal experience here and apply that to the entire EDH scene as a whole, <laughs> um, and say that <laughs> Core Spirit Dancer is in Mordex. Gotcha. Well, and Core Spirit Dancer, should be noted, was kind of the SRAM before SRAM was SRAM legendary type of draw cards but 
Joey is correct oh, by one percent. Oh, one oh, percent. Forty-three percent of Aura decks are playing Umber Mystic. Forty-two percent are playing Core Spirit Dancer. So wow. very close to very close. I'm I'm genuinely surprised by that. I really would have thought that the disparity was much bigger given the price of the card. Yeah, well, and core or not core spirit dancer umber mystic i mean it's about a five dollar card I, I sold a couple actually uh last week and so it, it's not a, a dirt cheap card but yeah court spirit dancer was you know eight or nine dollars for a little bit i suppose that's true maybe it was underpricing the uh the umber mystic sometimes power is just power I and mean, people are willing to spend a little bit for something that's you know going to draw you a bunch of cards it's an emergency beater in case your your hexproof dude dies or whatever so yeah yeah, definitely a really impressive beast. All right, I'm going to go with my head-to-head next, and I'm going to slide us back into that plus-one counter theme. I'm looking specifically at my favorite pair, Reishai, that is Rehan and Ishai. I'm wondering if you guys can tell me which is more popular in a Rehan and Ishai deck. The card Deep Close Gate, which we all know is that 5-mana 3-3 blue creature that doubles the number of counters on any number of target things when it comes into play, or solidarity of heroes this is a one and a green instant that has strive so you can cast one and a green to target more things with it and you can choose any number of target creatures and double the number of plus encounters on each of them which of those is more popular solidarity of heroes or deep glow skate well i probably shouldn't do this since it burned me last time but when i was playing my plus one counter deck, solidarity heroes just won games the ability to do that on the fly and double the number of counters on multiple creatures when I was swinging in. I mean, it, it was a win condition card in that deck. Deep Ghost Gate's really, really good, but I don't think it gives you that kind of on-demand win-the-game-right-now ability that Solidarity does. So I'm going to go Solidarity Heroes again based on personal experience since that worked so well for me last time. Uh, I'm going to contradict you. I will say Deep Ghost Gate because it was in the, they were on the same pre-con, Correct. I believe uh, are... both Solidarity of Heroes and uh, Deep Close Gate both showed up in the precon for these commanders. Oh, I didn't think Solidarity was in there. Hmm, much. I don't know. Deep Deep Close Gate, like everybody got super excited about, and so they were. I, I know people were just cramming him in. I know it was also like a twenty dollars card. Deep Close Gate's abusable though, much more so than for Solidarity sure. of Heroes. Because I mean, you have a creature, bounce it, do it again. Uh, I think the abusability of Deep Close Gate probably carries it above solidarity of heroes well let's take a look at the numbers solidarity of heroes shows up in 54 percent of rayhan and ishai decks and deep close gate shows up in 63 percent so Man, matt my personal experience is absolutely trash <laughs> it's just it just means that you're wrong a lot or everyone so, else is wrong and that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up. Solidarity of Heroes has really impressed me recently in that deck because, Dana, you're right. I swing in with Ishai, who's got a couple counters on her, and then, bam, suddenly she's lethal out of nowhere. Whereas the Deep Close Gate, yeah, it's definitely abusable if you're able to you know, double a bunch of counters on lots of different things, especially because Deep Close Gate doesn't care about specifically plus one counters. It can be used in things like Super Friends decks as well. But in this specific deck, with Ishai being so huge, I do like the instant speed combat trick because it can totally get people out of nowhere clearly i agree but nobody else in the <laughs> nobody else did apparently so well you know it's only like a seven they'll, they'll eventually but... figure out that we are correct <laughs> it's they're both excellent cards and they deserve every percentage that they see I, I really do enjoy them dana let's wrap up with your head-to-head i'm gonna stay on the plus one counters theme here uh, i'm gonna go with two cards enchantments that are frequently featured in plus one counters decks 
One um, was readily available for a long time for a buck, and one was not so readily available for $50. Talking about doubling season and hardened scales. So you have to weigh, obviously doubling season is fantastic, but hardened scales, it's one mana, and it was cheap for a long time. So which one of those two cards is in more plus one converse decks, hardened scales or doubling season? And this is tough because we have to take into account the fact that we're only looking at decks that have the plus one counter theme, Correct. not decks generally, because doubling season can be used in things like token decks too. That makes me really second guess my logic. I don't know. Matt, what do you think? I'm going with the counter, not with the counters. Obviously it's counters. Don't <laughs> listen to me. Uh, hardened scales is the one I'm going to go with because I think the pre-con effect helps it. I think the price being you know a dollar for the longest time compared to 50 for the longest time uh, I think that's going to outdo the fact that Doubling Seasons had time to kind of curate and, and work its way into decks for a long time. Yeah, Hardened Scales, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty confident about that one, actually. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Matt here. I think especially he mentioned the Precon effect, and that is another <clears throat> card that showed up in the Attracts of Precon, if I recall correctly. So that seems like a good thing to help out its numbers. Dana, what's I think, the answer? I think Mana Cost, too, just being a 1-drop versus a 4-drop is too, yeah. pretty mentionable, too. Uh Doubling season is in 31% of plus one counters decks versus hardened scales, which in which is in 76% of plus yeah. one counters decks. However, if you just look at uh, overall representation, doubling season is in twice as many total decks in EDH rack. Yeah. Well, because doubling season, it partners really well with planeswalkers yeah. and with creature in, token. In, in creature token decks for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely really bonkers cool cards. All right, that was pretty fun. Let's move on now to looking at some of not the commanders for plus one counters, but the cards themselves that show up in plus one counters decks. Dana, you want to walk us through some of these signature cards for plus one counter decks? I certainly can. Number one was a card we were just talking about, Hardened Scales. And number two would be a creature, Forgotten Ancient, which gets, uh, it, whenever a player casts a spell, you may put a plus one counter on a Forgotten Agent. It's a zero three for four mana. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you may move any number of plus one counters from Forgotten Ancient onto other creatures, which is a really important ability sometimes in a Traxa deck where you can then proliferate those counters up and do all kinds of crazy things. Then we've got Inspiring Call, which was a card that did a lot of work for me when I was playing this deck, where you draw a card for each creature you control with a plus one counter on it, and those creatures gain indestructible until end of turn for two and a green. At instant speed, too, that, was, that card did a lot of work for me when I was playing it. Uh, yeah, I love Inspiring Call. Uh, number four, Colonian Hydra, which is a card that I always have to read multiple times because I'm sure I'm reading it incorrectly. Three and two, so five mana total for Hydra with Trample. And it enters Battlefield with four plus one counters on it. But when Colonian Hydra attacks, double the number of plus one counters on each creature you control. So that yeah, that's fun. just ends people if they're not careful. And number five would be Corpse Jack Menace, which is two and Golgari, four total mana for a creature fungus. And if one or more plus one counters will be put onto a creature you control, twice that many plus one counters are put on it instead. Absolutely delicious. Crope Strike Menace is so good, especially when paired with things like Colonian Hydra. Because in Colonian Hydra attacks, it wants to put four counters on itself, and Corpse Jack's like, nah, take eight instead. It's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I like looking at those five cards right away there. You know, sometimes you look at these cards and you're like, well, I can see like in my version of this plus one counters deck or or whatever theme we're talking about, you might not run it. Looking at these five, like I would be hard pressed to not include all five, assuming I was in those colors. 
Yeah, they are very powerful. It's kind of funny, actually. Inspiring Call shows up. And that's one that when we did that, again, that Dex versus the Data thing where we took a look at my Rayhan and Ishai deck, that's one that I wasn't running. I have since, per your guys' recommendation, put it back into that deck. My qualm mm -hmm. was that maybe I didn't have you know, enough going wide strategy to make it necessarily effective. And so I'm trying to do my homework on the card, make sure, you know, whether it's actually a good fit. And I still have not drawn it, which is very upsetting. So I don't actually know how good this card actually works for the, my particular Go Tall deck, which is uh, kind of tough. You guys had also recommended, and this is kind of funny, you'd also recommended that maybe I, I start with that card in my hand just so that I can definitely see how it plays. But it's not very effective if everyone knows that you have it because it's an instant speed combat trick. So I'm not sure if I'm going to try that strategy. It's not even a combat trick. It's wrath insurance. There's all sorts of good ways to use it. And and, and don't listen to Dana's recommendations. We know how his personal experience is right, wrong. Right, exactly. Wow. But mine is right. So listen to me. Uh, I see. And and still keep playing it. That's that. That's my recommendation. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is a card that has a low floor, presuming you have no creatures on the battlefield that can be pretty bad. But it's got an exceptionally high ceiling. So I definitely understand. And and so from, from our conversation, though, I think like, you know that it works um, in my deck against really competent opponents. And you know it works well in Matt's deck when he's playing against like third graders at the playground. So wow. it, it, no matter what skill level you're going hey. against, it's really effective. Sometimes you got to put those kids in place. I'm not the only place. one who brought the sass today. <laughs> I, I agree with Matt. You gotta you gotta get him like teaching the hard knocks early on in life. Oh, wow. He's doing a service really for the community. I am. Thank you, Dana, for finally. Like, you're welcome, man. You're welcome. I'm gonna give you a high five next time I see you. Thanks, man. So something that I think is kind of interesting, looking at some of these signature cards, we see hardened scales, Colonial Hydra, Corpse Jack Menace. It does kind of appear that the one of the strategies around plus one counters is simply to grow the ones that already exist rather than coming up with original counters themselves. Like Colonial Hydra certainly enters with counters on it and Forgotten Ancient can definitely acquire a bunch of counters. But generally, one of the things that we're seeing here is that plus one counters like to make more of itself once you've got some with Hardened Scales and Corpse Jack Menace and such. Well, and that's one of those things that like Forgotten Ancient works well with that I mentioned was, you know, Corpse Jack Menace doesn't itself have any counters on it. But Forgotten Angel lets you put one or two on there, which then, you know, let you double those counters with Colonial Hydra and get extra ones with Hardened Scales or just from Corpse Jack Menace itself. So it, it, trying to find that balance between creatures that do things with counters like Corpse Jack Menace, maybe don't have them themselves, and creatures like Colonial Hydra or Forgotten Ancient that also have them and let you manipulate them, it, it kind of becomes a really fun sub-game or balancing act with your deck where you have to just get that perfect mix between all those factors to get the the pieces meshed together just right yeah it's it's definitely kind of a fun dance in my experience with my rayhan and ishai and my experience seeing people playing atraxa like that's one of the difficult things is getting that ball rolling but once you do then it's really really awesome so i think that's kind of like a, a almost maybe perhaps a weakness to the plus one counter theme is that you do have to find that initial first step and once you've got that first step then you're good to go but getting there in the first place you know playing attraxa and making sure that she's got counters to start proliferating in the first place that's one of the things that you gotta actually like pay attention to and there's a whole lot of stuff to help you when you do like corpse jack menace hardened skills pure imaginative rascal is another one uh, so it's definitely a, a thing to keep in mind about this particular strategy i want to move on to the next couple of signature cards because these actually are really great at helping out getting some plus one counters onto the field 
So we've got here looking after hardened scales and corpse Menace and colonial hydra and all them. After that, we can see cards like Champion of Lamholt, which acquires counters whenever creatures enter the battlefield and which makes it more difficult for your opponents to block for each counter that's on it. Fathom Mage, a really fun one that evolves. This is a Simic creature, has evolved. It's a 1-1, so whenever a bigger creature enters the battlefield, it gets a counter and it says whenever it gets a counter, you draw a card. That's really great. Master Biomancer, another Simic card. It's a 2-4 that gives each other creature you control that enters the battlefield extra counters equal to Master Biomancer's power. Really cool. There's also Gyre Sage, which can evolve, get a bunch of counters on it, and tap for that much mana. So there are a couple of other options to get more counters on your creatures in these particular cards that we're seeing here. Yeah, I really like Champion of Lambhold. It's it's a nice way to, to sneak creatures in and uh, kind of get under folks. It's It was one of my favorite cards uh, in my Azuri deck. It's still a very, very good card. It's good. Yeah. You should play uh, yeah. it. That's certainly effective. We also see Herald of Secret Streams is another card on this list as well, which also can make those creatures unblockable or tougher to block in the case of Champion of Lambhold. That's definitely powerful. And I think that's one of the other key things to note about this particular strategy. It is almost more than any other theme, incredibly creature focused. You are using a bunch of creatures to put counters on them to go and attack people almost more than tribal decks this is very very creature focused a bunch of the cards that we're seeing here are themselves creatures eight of these top 10 signature cards among the plus one counter theme are creatures which means that this strategy does have another pretty glaring weakness which is just board wipes and that's a thing that you got to be prepared for which is stuff that you know inspiring call helps with i suppose yeah you're just proving our point joey that's all you're doing <laughs> well in, in in while you're correct that they are are all creatures often tend to be creatures that kind of have spell-like abilities stapled on. So, you know, while Conan Hydra is definitely a creature that comes down and is going to be giving a beating out, it's also going to be buffing other things. And a lot of these these creatures here kind of have those those dual home abilities, whether it's, you know, the card draw on Fathom Mage that's also getting counters or Champion of Lambhole making things difficult to block while it's also getting counters. So a lot of these creatures are doing doing kind of double duty where they are getting bigger and being the the beat sticks that can deal the damage when you the game while also kind of functioning as enchantments that are doing work and buffing other creatures as well yeah that's a really good point finally i want to note one last thing of the top cards that we're seeing here excuse me of the signature cards that we're seeing here for these plus one counter themes all of them are green but then there are also three that are blue and one that's black and i think that just kind of you know points out the fact that simic is definitely very entrenched in that plus one plus one counter theme and i'm really there, excited to see that in the upcoming ravnica set should be pointed out there is one white card don't don't forget about mr abs and falconer oh i was just looking at the top 10 but yes when we expand down a little bit farther we do also see abs and falconer you are correct don't forget about n- number 14 number <laughs> one in in some people's hearts you know, but even cards like Winding Constrictor, that is a really, really useful card in this kind of deck. There's just so many strong cards. You know, th- that card once upon a time, you know, a few years back, might easily have been in the top ten or top five where Corpse Jack Menace is. It's just there's been so many really, really useful plus one counter cards over the years that something like Winding Constrictor can slide down to you know the the, the bottom of this list while still being super useful and super strong. Yeah, and we say bottom of this list, but it's still showing up in 44% of right, cards exactly. that use the plus one counter theme. It's really fun when you have a bunch of those counter doublers out. Like, can you imagine if you've got a Hardened Scales, a Pure Imaginative Rascal, a Winding Constrictor, a Corpse Jack Menace, and a Doubling Season on the battlefield, and then you play one card that gives you one counter and it explodes into like four or five or 90 or something like that? 
see, I recall bringing up a situation like this, and you told me I was a mean, mean man. But the math lessons are pretty fun, so <laughs> don't don't judge me for when I want to give people a math lesson. If you don't want me to judge you right now, all right, no judgment at all, Matt. None all right. at all. I How don't buy you? that for a second. But <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, you walk us through the next section on the plus one counter page? We looked at some of the signature cards, which are more specific to this theme, but we also want to look at the top cards. And these cards definitely show up in other types of themes and other decks as well, but they're still you know, statistically very, very relevant for this theme as well. Matt, do you want to take through some of these top cards that we're seeing too? Yep. So the number one top card uh, is Rayon, Last of the Abzan, or Abzan, Abiz- Abizan. Number two, one of my favorites of all time, Cathar's Crusade, uh, which we haven't talked about yet, but it is a uh, three in white, white for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Ooh, very powerful. Yeah, spicy. Uh, Number three, Deep Glow Skate, which we already talked about. Number four, we also already talked about Rishkar, Pima Renegade, making his way into a bunch of, uh, making his way into the 99. Number five, Crystalline Crawler, Crystalline Crawler, excuse me, uh, which is a 1-1 with Converge, where he enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each color mana spent to cast it, and you can remove a counter from it to add one mana of any color, Uh, and then you can tap him, put a plus one, plus one counter on Crystalline Crawler. Number six, I'm going to say number six because I love number six, but number six is Mana Gorger Hydra, two and a green for a 1-1 with Trample which doesn't seem that great until you continue reading whenever a player casts a spell, whenever a player casts a spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Mana Gorger Hydra. So this is a much more diverse list than what we were seeing above. What are your guys' thoughts, Dana? Um, I, I think this is where you start getting to the point where there's a lot of diversity then among decks. Like early on, those couple cards, you're looking at things where I'm like, man, no matter how I build, I'm, I would definitely be running those. As we get down here, then I think now you're seeing some separation. We're like, well, in my version of this deck, maybe I don't care about Crystalline Crawler or Rishkar. So I think this is where we start seeing some real separation. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I wonder if that's you know something that plays into the fact the signature cards are very specific to this theme. But the top cards, these cards can certainly show up in other types of strategies as well. Deep Close Gate, as I mentioned earlier, it doubles the counters on any kind of permanent, so it can certainly go into something like a Super Friends deck and buff up a bunch of loyalty counters. And then you've got some other stuff like Rishkar Pima Renegade. Well, he's an elf druid. He's easily slottable right into an elf deck to help your elves produce even more and more and more mana. So that's definitely one of the reasons why we're seeing probably that diversity there. These cards are certainly powerful, but they start to split off into other types of directions that other decks are also able to take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and the, the same thing would continue as you get further down where you're looking at things like Scavenging Ooze, which is just a great card in you know almost any deck as a way to run Graveyard Hate. And it's just a bonus card here where it's also getting plus one counters themed going on. You know, Catherine's Crusade is great in a lot of decks as well. You know, if you're just playing tokens or... Um, you know, reanimation or, or or dropping a bunch of small bodies like maybe in um, the new vampire, uh, what did I just forget his name? Uh, sorry, uh, Edgar Markov. So there's just a lot of, yeah, these, these are the cards that go in a, a, a much more diverse array of decks like you pointed out, Joey. So kind of a weird question for you guys. We've looked at some top cards and some commanders and some signature cards. Are there any specific plus one counter related cards that jump out at you as being personal favorites? Are there ones that you think maybe shine above the rest when compared to all of their other contemporaries on this page? Cathar's Crusade, 1,002%. Yep. (laughs) That card is so good. I mean, it's a win condition. Oh, yeah, 100%. And And people don't interact with enchantments very well. 
uh, it just kind of sits there and you're going to get value. Uh, if you're in white, 99% of the time you're playing a, a decent amount of creatures. And it just makes those creatures bigger. And the whiter you go, the bigger everything gets. And yeah, it's it's very abusable too. That's one of my favorite things about it. Um, you know, I, I am a fan of Fertilid. It's on the list. It's way down there. Um, it's an elemental zero zero for three mana. When it enters the battlefield, it comes into play with two plus one counters on it, which isn't that exciting. So it becomes a two two. But you can spend one in a green to remove a plus one counter from Fertilid, and target player searches their library for a basic land card, puts it on the battlefield tapped, and then shuffles their library. So first of all, with like doubling season or hardened scales, it oftentimes comes in with more counters than that. And it's a nice little mana sink that you can dump some mana into to ramp a few lands. And then, you know, you get more counters on it next turn from proliferate or from whatever effect you have in play. So it can, it's, it's a kind of a continuous ramp effect. Um, but the real reason I like that card a lot is if you happen to be playing in a plus one counter deck where you also have access to black, there's an Obnixilus card that has plus one mm-hmm. counters and... When an opponent searches their library, they have to sacrifice a creature and lose 10 life. And Fertilwood, you can force them to search for a land. So if you happen to have Obnix out and you land Fertilwood, you can pretty often just kill somebody by making them ramp up a couple lands. I but, remember when I first heard about that combo, it was when the episode of this podcast when Patrick Sapolo was on. And <laughs> yep. you guys were talking about it and I had no idea what was going on. And then you read uh, Fertilid, and I was like, oh... You can force people to search. Yes, indeed. And, it's and even if mean. in both yeah, halves of you, that combo are good cards. Like Fertilwind's a useful card, and Obnix and a plus one counter deck is also quite useful. So mm-hmm. you're not like running cards that aren't doing anything independent of one another. Um, they're solid inclusions in decks, but if you happen to have the combo out, that's just gravy. I don't know. Fertilid's never made the cut for me. Like it's a three mana two two, and it takes a total of five mana before it finds me my first land. That feels it's always felt really clunky to me. Um, I think the fact that it's abusable, like you you yeah. can reload it really well. It's it's not hard, and especially in these plus one plus one counter decks, if you have you know a uh, hardened scales out, he's a three mana three three. Which I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad either. Uh, then you get the ramp out of it, then you can put more counters on it later. I, I think it's fine, even without the Obnixilus synergy. I don't know. Maybe I've just been spoiled by Crystalline Crawler, which can just add tons of mana right off the bat. That's true. Well, I, th- I think it's kind of like Scavenging Ooze. Um, you know, Ooze is an amazing card in other formats. I think in EDH, it's a fine card, but it's not the kind of card I want to rely on as my way to deal with someone's graveyard. That's why I like something like Scavenger Grounds, where I know when I land it, I can just blank a graveyard full stop. Scavenging Ooze doesn't really work that way. You have to be in a perfect position to save yourself from that Rise of the Dark Realms or what have you. So it's it's a good card in a plus one counter deck that also happens to have interesting graveyard synergy. And those two things combined make it a really good card in this kind of deck. I think that's kind of the same deal with Fertilid. Like, I wouldn't run it as a mana ramp spell in any other kind of deck, except for here where you can, like we said, reload it, and you have synergy with Obnix, and it's a mana sink. I think there's enough small, useful things that come together in one package to make it a cool card. I suppose. I guess I can acquiesce to that. But generally, it's still been... I think it's a little bit clunky, but yes, sure. I'm 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 happy that you like the card. Uh, there there are definitely, and just looking across this page, like I want to name, ooh, this specific card has been really fun for me. But then I look at the card next to it, and I'm like, oh, that specific card has also been really fun to me. I'm like, oh, Deep Blue Skate's really awesome. Ooh, Crystalline Crawler is really awesome. Mana Guardra Hydra, and that's just it. Like I have a ton of fun with this particular theme. Plus one countering everything. It's uh, just awesome. 
you know, having a forgotten ancient out and then the hardened skills and getting two counters every time anyone plays any spell and then putting those counters in other places and those counters grow because of the hardened skills again. Like that interactivity is just really, really awesome. And I've just had a lot of fun with this particular strategy. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. It, it, it's the kind of theme that lends itself to you being busy the entire game and doing things. And I think that is an attractive thing, certainly for me in a deck where the deck is going to keep me active the entire game. So I think I, that's something about this theme that really appeals to me as well. So yeah, that's a great point. It's also just, I suppose, kind of putting my own little bow on the way that the strategy feels. Like it's very creature-based and it does take a second to get rolling, but it it's definitely in colors of inevitability. Like, you know, Forgotten Ancient will just inexorably grow larger and larger and Corpse Jack Menace and Colonian Hydra and a bunch of those things will like if left unchecked, this particular strategy just grows and grows and grows and just does not stop growing. It's very green for exactly that reason. So you really got to nip this strategy in the bud if it's across the table from you because it will take over the game snappish. Yeah, absolutely. It's a rock rolling downhill and once it starts rolling, you can't stop it. Yeah, exactly. So a ton of fun there. And... Now we got to wrap up with challenging some stats. We're going to take a look at some of these cards and you know decide whether or not they're seeing too much play or perhaps too little play. Matt, how about you start us off? How about we go to Dana because I lost mine. <laughs> oh. Dana, how about you start us off? I can certainly do that, gentlemen. I'm going to go with a card, Realm Seekers, out of the first Conspiracy set. Realm Seekers costs four and two green, so it's six mana. That's not nothing for an elf scout. Realm Seekers enters the battlefield with X plus one counters on it, where X is a total number of cards in all players' hands. It also has an ability two and a green, and you can remove a plus one counter from Realm Seekers to search your library for a land card and put it in your hand. Not basic, but a land card. Uh, and that's useful in a plus one counters deck, but I, I found I didn't really use it that often. What was great about Realm Seekers was plenty of times for six mana, it came down as an 18-18 or a 21-21 or something like that. Um, and in a plus one counters deck where then, you know, oftentimes your counters are being doubled from doubling season or they're being doubled on swing from a Colonian Hydra, it, it got disgustingly huge. And then if you're running things like Overwhelming Stampede on top of it, plenty of times it was a card that just blanked the board. I would just, all of a sudden my guys were like plus 88, plus 88, and I would kill everybody. Or I would cast Mimeoplasm and use Realm Seekers from my graveyard and Mimeoplasm would come in as something large enough to one-shot somebody if I also gave it flying based on whether a creature I exiled. Or it would come in place just as a huge creature and I would immediately sacrifice it to life's legacy and draw 24 cards. So it's an underwhelming card if you just look at it, but actually in a plus one counters deck, it did 50 different things and every one of those things was disgustingly effective. It's in 2,500 decks in EDH rec and I think it should be considered a lot more heavily in plus one counter themes decks because I was never unhappy to see it. It always did something gross. Yeah, that's one that I've been really heavily considering for my Rayhan and Ishai deck, actually, just because you're right, it does enter with tons of counters all at once. And I'm really eager to have it enter the battlefield as being some like 15-15 or whatever, and then immediately sacrificing it with one of my sacrifice outlets and having Rayhan transfer those counters onto a different creature. It's it's really, really tempting. I mean, I remember, remember like multiple games when I would play Greater Good. I'd just be like, oh, please let me draw Realm <laughs> Seekers right now. Like, I, I just wanted to draw it to like cast it for six mana and then draw, you know, 27 cards. 
Yeah, those conspiracy cards, things like Ignition Team and Realm Seekers, like they are actually pretty darn cool because they can enter being really, really huge just based off of the fact of how many opponents you have. Yeah, yep, for sure. Very cool card. Definitely neat. All right, I really like that pick. Maybe I'll have to revisit that one for my Rehan Ishai deck. Matt, you got yours ready? I do. So mine is kind of a timely one. So it was just reprinted in Battle Bond, but Vigor is only played in 16% of plus one plus one counter decks. So Vigor, I'll read real quick. It's three and green, green, green for a 6-6 six, six with Trample. It also reads, uh, if damage would be dealt to another creature you control, prevent that damage, put a plus one, plus one counter on that on that creature for each one damage prevented this way. And then when Vigor is put into a graveyard from anywhere, shuffle it into the owner's library. So if you want a way to grow your dudes really quick, this is a perfect way to do it. Uh, saves them from combat damage because it's preventing its a replacement effect uh, and grows your creatures very quickly. Uh, anytime you play Vigor, it has a massive target on its back. And if people don't have an answer, your creatures are going to get pretty big pretty quick. We talked about a lot of cards earlier about what can you do to make them you know, effective once they have the counters on there or creatures that when you get the counters on there. But we didn't talk a lot about how to get the counters on all your creatures. We talked about the creatures that you want to put them on. This is a amazing way to get those counters onto your creatures. Say you attack and, or, you know, say you chump block, you know, you, you put the uh, fathom mage out there, you have vigor out and you chump block a 10, 10, you're drawing 10 cards. That's pretty great. It's just a very, very good engine. It's hard to kill because uh, it's always going to get shuffled back in. So it's good. And well, it's a triggered ability. So it's not great anti-mill tech, but it's pretty good nonetheless. It's a really fun card. It's probably really tough, and, and it's not seeing too much play because of that triple green cost. The though. triple green is pretty rough, yes. A I, lot of I these plus one counter decks, we're seeing that they tend to be several colors. We've got things especially like Atraxa and other stuff, so that's probably why this one shows up being so low. And one of the other things that I imagine a lot of these decks are hoping for is genuine wrath insurance. They want to make sure that their creatures don't get completely killed and Vigor doesn't necessarily stop from a board wipe. But it does make you the master of all combat, and that is mm -hmm. definitely you know worth playing if you can afford to have a, a card that has that many green mana symbols in it you could do a lot worse than vigor because it will make sure that you do combat really darn well and also side note really fun thing to do with vigor cast a blasphemous act yes fantastic like the tech with the vigor. vigor will die but the rest of your creatures are going to get huge well i mean i ran pestilence in my um maybe plasm deck just because I had Vigor and, you know, my creatures are frequently pretty large. So being able to Pestilence for one or two here or there kept the board clear of stuff that didn't really affect me. And if I happened to have both of them out, well, that was just, you know, fantastic. That was peachy could, keen. Yeah, I'd, it's basically spend a black mana, put a plus one counter on all your guys. That's one of the most disgusting things I think I've ever heard. That's amazing. Yeah, it it's was good. it was always fun. All right, we're going to move on to my challenge of stats. I'm looking at a card that is overplayed in Varel of the Holclade. We mentioned him earlier. He's a neat human and merfolk somehow who can tap to add extra counters. He can double the number of counters on something. He can't do it to Planeswalkers, which is kind of interesting. The card that I'm looking at does not specifically mention plus one counters, which is why I think it has to go. 
Well, actually, also that because I think it's a bit awkward and people might be misreading it, I'm not entirely sure. The card that shows up in his deck at 39% popularity is Bounty of the Luxa. This is a 4-mana Simic enchantment that's 2 green and blue, and it says at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, remove all flood counters from Bounty of the Luxa. If no counters were removed this way, put a flood counter on it, and you draw a card. Otherwise, if a counter was removed, then you add a colorless, a green, and a blue to your mana pool. And I don't think I understand why this particular card is showing up in Varel of the Holclade. I guess maybe I've got a bias saying, oh, I think that people should focus less on counters like this and more on plus one counters. But also, I don't think that this card works the way that people think it does. No matter how many counters are removed from Bounty of the Luxa, that does not change its effect one way or the other. If a counter was removed, if two counters were removed, like it doesn't double the number of benefits that you get. It only cares if any number of counters were removed. So I don't think that this card's necessarily as good as you want it to be. And that either or effect of either drawing a card or getting mana every other turn, it's a little unwieldy. So in my opinion, this one should go and you should replace it with a card that does use plus one counters because they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised to see that in so many decks. I'm kinda... Yeah, 39% of them ever since Bounty of the Luxa came out, and I just, that card does not do what I think people think it do. No matter how many counters get removed, it's the same benefit. So that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that Vorel would necessarily need. Just because it says counters on it doesn't necessarily mean that it synergizes well with his ability. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. I think people might be misreading what the card actually does. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I'm looking down a little bit lower too, you see like Song of Freilis, and I, I don't know if that's really something you want to be doubling counters on anyways, because, you know, if, say if you do it when it already has two counters on that, you just jump up to four and you don't get the effect of, you know, the, the third chapter. So I think Song of Freilis, that one's kind of awkward as well to, to have in there. Yeah, there there are a lot of other ways that I think you can take advantage of things with counters. And I'm just not convinced that Bounty the Luxa is one of them, just because it doesn't actually necessarily synergize with Varel's doubling ability. But, you know, regardless, I, I should acknowledge my bias because I just want people to bash face with a big, huge, beefy creature that has a bunch of counters on it. In their Azuri deck. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that again. Yes, I have a bias against Azuri because <laughs> I think he's in the wrong colors, but that's really neither here nor there. The point is that he does show up as a popular deck because this is a very popular theme. People like plus one counters. They like big creatures and they like smashing each other. That's what EDH is all about. And I'm happy about the spirit of that in, in, in itself. I think that that's a nice thing for sure. Alrighty, guys. Anything else that we want to mention before we wrap up today's show? I don't, don't think, think so. so. Nothing for me. I'm I'm all tapped out. Alrighty, well that was a ton of fun, but I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me, and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters, at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on the Twitterbirds, at Dana Roach, and you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. Follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when EDHREC cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can also contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This podcast is posted every week Week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember EDHREC your deck before you wreck your deck.
I found my energy. Well, that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> it happened by uh, sapping it away from that, apparently. All right. Jo- Joey's happiness is my despair. Yeah, this is, this is one of the precursors to necromancy. In order to <laughs> manipulate the dead, you have to drain the life force from the living. It's just how it works. Sorry, Matt. You're my victim this I, I am the victim. <laughs> <laughs>